Hi, uh, welcome to Movie Butts. I'm Arnie Joe, and this is Fuck Nugget Cunt Dane, who's too chicken shit to say his own name. Um, Hi. Yeah, welcome to our podcast. Uh, was that better, Dane? Was that better for you? Did you prefer that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's sort of out of context because no one's heard me complain about it. But yes, I was complaining about how I don't like the introduction because it's weird saying i'm dane yeah well i'm just gonna call until you're happy with calling saying your own name you're just fuck nugget dane you know okay well i guess that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we uh we do a podcast where we do a, m- a bunch of math to determine the best and worst film of a certain topic you know it can be an actor's filmography a director a studio um you know a series uh Basically, I I grab a bunch of information, whether it be IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, the box office, the budget, and do some really intense math. Um, and yeah, basically, that determines objectively the best and the worst. None of you can argue that it's right or wrong because it's math, you know? And, um, yeah, it's been proven. Like it's been peer reviewed. I send it to Dane. Dane approves it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, um, and then we have the best and worst of the topic. And then we talk about them and see why one might work and one, why one might not, you know, what Mm. did we, uh, what did we watch, uh, this week? Uh, fuck nugget. We did, um, PT Anderson and we watched, uh, Inherent Vice and, there will be blood. The uh, this uh, the math for this one was quite interesting. Um, it was quite easy to find the worst. Um, overall, Inherent Vice has a bit of a mixed kind of opinion with with uh, critics and uh, quite a like a relatively negative audience response. Um, but the the nail in the coffin for this one was really the amount of money that it lost. It lost quite a fair bit of money compared to its budget. Um, the best was was actually quite difficult. Um, it was actually neck and neck between There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights. But um, after doing averages, I actually for this one it was so neck and neck. I actually had to do adjustment for inflation in the budget and the box office to see right. how much it actually cost in a in our current finance in our cu- current financial situation and how much it earned in our current financial situation. And only then did right. um, did there will be blood prove to be the more successful film out of the two. Right. You know, crazy, right? He um, a lot of his he makes his movies most of the time for quite a modest budget, um, and that's actually played to his favor in a lot of occurrences. What was the budget for Inherent Vice? Oh, it was again. It was it was still modest, but it just didn't make enough money back. I'll, I'll get the I'll get the figures up. Um, but because I know. thought more than anything that it has more of a widespread appeal. Inherent Vice. Yeah. Is that because you... So, it had a... It had a... Actually, it had an even more modest budget. It had $20 million, but it, it only made $14 million. So, it didn't... Yeah. yeah, it didn't make anything. It lost, like, $6 million. Um, why do you... Why do you think it had a has a widespread, a, more of a mainstream appeal? Well, I mean, you look at something like There Will Be Blood. It's such a weird movie. I mean, the trailers for Inherent Vice made it look like it was going to be really fun, you know, like Mm. it's like a crime action caper almost, Mm. Um, Mm. which, you know, more than like the master, (laughs) but, you know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that, you know, people who go and watch these movies, maybe a lot of them go and see them several times because they're so enjoyable they also deserve one. they also deserve repeat viewing some of them well, actually fucking all of them re- deserve repeat viewings because i don't think you leave with everything the first time Mm-mm. you know no so um 
but I don't Moon know. Vice like, is such a weird one. It's it like I'm thinking about it. The closest film I can compare it to is uh, the Big Lebowski in a way, right? And even that movie, The Big Lebowski, was a sleeper hit. That film didn't make money until it was on, like, video, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe it's just... It's a genre that d- doesn't really work for people. Also, I don't think it's... it's it's I think I don't think it's a very accessible film full stop, let alone to a mainstream audience. But also, we should- um, he probably gets a lot of um, positive word of mouth to get people to go and watch yeah. his movies. Yeah. And this one wouldn't have had very good work. Well, another thing I noticed from the math is that steadily from the master onwards, his audience approval rating has actually dropped. Mm. So it's, um, you know, uh, Ma- Boogie Nights, Magnolia, the actual Magnolia has the, had the highest audience rating overall. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and Boogie Nights was close behind, and then there will be blood. But from the master on, its uh, audience reviews for the films were firmly in the mixed area. They weren't stellar yeah. anymore. You know, where they, where the critics might still be giving him, you know, a lot of attention and praise. Yeah, from the master on, it's like I think he kind of loses a lot of people. You know, I think it's because people generally expect things to like consistently get better Mm. and just have one movie be better than the last. Or um, I noticed that um, people in general don't like um, consistency with um, style. I mean, there's been a bit of flack um, online I've seen for Wes Anderson. The French film, Dispatcher. That, that they're like, oh, he's he's doing his Wes Anderson shtick again. It's like, but that's his style. That's see, how he makes See, things. I understand where you're coming from, but also, like, it looks criminally like the Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, it looks... It's the... it's All of his films have a similar style, but this one literally... I thought it was a sequel. It was that close in style. Even to the point where Adrian Brody's character in the trailer looks identical to the character in Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm like, he's playing the same guy, but he's not. It's just... But I think that, like, Grand Budapest was just um, an evolution of his style. It just seems to be getting more honed in. Yeah. Um, like whether you think that's good or bad is subjective, like whatever, yeah. but obviously that's his style. I mean, that's his personal vision. And I think just like, as he becomes a more experienced filmmaker, he begins to hone in more as to like what he sees in his head. And he's mm. always had that style, but it's, you know, you go back to his earlier films, it's been rough around the edges and now it's a more, uh, solidified vision. Yeah, uh, that's just what well, I think, and, well, it's, and it's the same thing with um, PT. I think it's just like why these guys are so good to begin with is they're unique. I mean, they're like he's a pretty original filmmaker. Not not that you can't see his inspirations, but you can tell when you're watching a PT Anderson film. You can yeah. tell when you're watching Wes Anderson. I so when they come along, they surprise you and nothing is better than being surprised with something good. feels like you haven't seen that before. And then once you've seen like 10 of their movies and you're like, Oh, it's not giving me the same feeling anymore. It's like, yeah, it's cause it's, it's the same thing, but I mean, don't expect this guy to continuously surprise you. He's, he has a, a way of doing things. I, I don't necessarily think that, uh, P.T. Anderson's films are as aesthetically um, stagnant as uh, Wes Anderson. I, I I don't think they can really be compared in that way. I've found personally that as his films have gone on, they're harder to define. They're harder to... P.T.? To, yeah, they're harder to label every single one that I've seen and put into a box. So I'd almost say he's pretty much the inverse of, I pre- yeah, of well, Wes Anderson. I, I personally prefer his later work than his earlier work. It's his earlier work is his so. earlier work is much easier to it's it's a much easier on the palette. Specifically Boogie Nights. Let's just say that that's a that's a genre film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like people who love Quentin Tarantino love Boogie Nights as well. 
you know, where people who love Quentin Tarantino might have a hard time watching The Master, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we should probably get slightly back on topic. Um, The one that got the best was was There Will Be Blood. I think uh, of all the people that I know on the planet, you're probably the most qualified person to give a plot description for this one. So... um, Simply because this is one of the this is one of your films, isn't it, Dane? Yeah, this is one of the several movies I like. Yeah. <laughs> so um, hit us with your best plot description for this film. Um. So the um, there will be blood opens um, uh, at the um, like eighteen. I think it starts in like eighteen ninety eight or a bit earlier than that during the gold rush in the in the u.s and um the main character is a guy named daniel plainview and it opens up with him um uh digging for gold by himself and then he strikes gold uh gets some money and he uses that to um to drill for oil uh and he strikes big on oil and then um he becomes an oil man as he calls himself has an oil company um and then one day this character comes in and tells him that he has he knows where there's um some oil rich land and he'll tell him where it is if he just gives him a bit of money right now and he goes out there finds the oil land uh and then it's really about his his interactions with with the town it's almost like the townspeople are one character and and he's another um and then it's about his sort of rise to success it's 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 like a an anti-hero story um in a way it's showing it's sort of like a rags to riches tale it's a it's the american dream but like really fucked up yeah the american nightmare if you will the american nightmare how about that (laughs) Um, so why do you, why do you, what draws you specifically to this film? <clears throat> I think, I think because, um, every, every facet of the, um, of the film, the, the soundtrack, the cinematography, the acting, the directing, the, the, the writing, uh, I give it all a 10 out of 10. I think it's just one of those rare cases of, just a bullseye in every department. And um, also it has um, uh, not so much a message, but themes of, um, you know, shit that we're currently dealing with, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's not like capitalism's bad. It's, it's just, um, it's just bringing to light these, um, I don't know, devilish things, you know, you, 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 what you, what you're seeing is, um, a man who is basically destroying himself to be successful. He's, he's, he's playing a game. Um, the, like, and the, it's the game of this American dream. And you see that he's one of the best at it. Um, and he, and, and the things that he has to sell and parts of him that he has to, cut off he like his humanity is just slowly chipped away that by the end of the film he's basically a monster yeah Um, i think it's just so expertly crafted that and and it's such a it's such a because it sounds like really like you could really fuck this up um um but it's done it's done so well and such a gradual process and you believe it the whole time. And what's really funny about it is that Daniel day Lewis, I mean, from every objective standpoint, this performance should be a joke because he's, he's on, he's like a cartoon character, but he feels like a real guy, but his performance is so over the top and wacky. And it's just, I never get tired of watching him in this film. He has some amazing, like, intuition as an actor, you know? Like, 
I can think of I can think of one specific time. Like there are times in in films where you know characters should react quickly and slowly, and 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 you think with something like this, you know, I don't know. Like you'd think some people would react a bit slower and things, but I, I always get reminded of the scene where he's forced to go to church, and it's and um, Paul Dano's like the the preacher's like. Uh, it, does anyone here want to um, absolve their sins? And like almost before he's even finished saying it, he's like me, because <laughs> because you, you can tell he just wants it to be over with, yeah. and it's just such great intuition to know yeah. that just such a small detail can like make a scene, you know? Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, in that that scene in particular is one of the best ever put to film i think but like uh, every scene in this uh like when i sat down to watch it again i'm constantly like every time i watch it um i get reminded of like which scenes are coming up because i remember them all but then you know as a a scene goes on like um so say like when the um what is he? A, he's a preacher. Yeah. So when Paul Dano's preacher character is approaching, <clears throat> is approaching Daniel. And, um, this is just after his son has gone deaf as well. So he already doesn't like this preacher character. And now the preacher comes up and approaches him and asks him for money. And he just instantly slaps him and starts beating him up and rubbing mud in his face. And it's, <laughs> it's such a good, funny scene, but it's, it's hard to describe exactly why. And if you haven't seen it, but the, the dynamic between these two leading up to that is so deep, um, that it's just him snapping at him and it's such an enjoyable scene. And then once it's over, then we cut to the scene where he's sitting at the table covered in mud and oil staring at his father who he has no respect for and yep. that's a great scene where he then does the same thing to his father and he beats up his his father and it's like then every scene afterwards i'm like oh yeah this scene oh yeah this scene and uh yeah it's it's just consistently entertaining it I don't went see how anybody wouldn't like this it went a lot quicker for this like because i haven't seen it in a little while but I was having a very similar thing where I was every time a scene would come up, I'd remember it and I'd I'd fall in love again. You know, I'd I'd feel really happy that I was seeing this scene. But but for for some reason, this this I remember this one being quite long, and this time it just blew past. Like I I, I it was over before I thought it even begun. Like it, it it cuts to the future, and I'm like, fuck, we're at the end. Like. Yeah, we're you know, at 1927. We're at 1927, and I thought it took way longer to get there, you know? This is, um, for me, this is one of those special films where, um, you, you know, you can talk about the American dream, you can talk about this man's uh, evolution into this, um, into this creature and such, like on a, on a more symbolic level. But it's it's one of those films where I don't necessarily want to dig too much into the subtext. Like it's a film that all the ingredients work. That on a deeper level, it's a film that I mainly feel in my core. You know, yeah. like it, it doesn't need to necessarily be labeled as anything. It's you know, it's 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 beyond needing that like you said it's not trying to be preachy on these things these things wash over you yeah, and, and it doesn't it doesn't have to because it just kind of sits there as, as 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 sort of being obvious to me it's one it's about this man like it's yeah. a character study of this guy and then secondly it's um about the 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 relationship between him and the preacher yeah the little psychotic games they play with each other because and it's probably out of everything is my favorite part of the film mm. is watching these two characters interact because in order to you know play this game of capitalism like being a businessman he has to um take on a like a sort of mask if you will like yeah you know 
pretend that he's someone else. Like he has his, his son is like his, his co-owner uh, in the business. And he uses his son as kind of like a front, as a family man type thing. The, 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 the problem is uh, with those two is, again, you're right. That's like, the, there's multiple stories going on. Like, and you can even say that the relationship with him and the, the son is the third one. You know what mm. I mean? But yeah. like Paul Dano, the preacher, uh, is it Eli? Eli and Daniel are too similar. That's the issue. That's where the conflict comes from. You know, they might, they're, they're, they're of different intelligence and of different ways of approaching it, but they're both people that need to be in control. Mm. They're both people that don't like anyone else winning and they don't like seeing success or they need to know that they're the center of the world and all these things. And when yeah. the in- unstoppable force meets the immovable object, shit like this is going to happen. And only really in the end can you say that there's a winner, you know what I mean? Or it's or it's revealed that, you know, someone may have had the upper hand in this conflict the whole time. But until that point, it really is that none of them's really, like, winning. Like, Paul Dano does get his just desserts when he starts slapping the absolute fuck out of him, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's yeah. not purely one-sided in that way. No, they're, they're going back and forth and they're both the same type of person and they want the same type of thing. Um, like they're, they're pretty psychotic in their manipulation of people and the fronts they put on to, to fool people into thinking that there's something that they're not. When, like, like you said, it's like Daniel, for Daniel, it's his son. His son's part of his mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he's a very angry, dark, violent man, he's presenting a a family man. That's like even when his son isn't around, he relegates, he has to adopt this fucking fucktard brother. Um, sorry, this, uh, this brother character to kind of fit that mold for him to help with his image. Whereas Paul Dano's character, it's all about church. It's about God. Like it's the, it's the exact same thing, you know? Yeah. um, Yeah, exactly. So watching those two interact is really entertaining and it's never explicitly spelled out for you. Um, You just kind of got to know what they're doing. There there um, There are points where they will kind of, try to break each other um like the part where um eli is saying to daniel that he needs to slow down his production because a man died um doing it um he like 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 sort of leans right into his face and then he says yeah but then we won't be able to then the the well won't produce and blow gold everywhere and then Eli keeps talking and then he just speaks up and he says, but then the well won't produce and blow gold all over the place. And that just shuts him up because, and then nothing else is said. He just walks off because, you know, they both know that the only thing he's interested in is money, but he can never say that. And he can't even admit it to himself, mm. which is why the ending is so um, fascinating where he, forces him to basically come out and literally say uh, God is a superstition. Yeah, and all he wants is money, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But he no, has such a-, a hard time admitting it even to himself. Uh, he he kind of, like, lives a lie in his, in his own head. But Daniel Plainview doesn't really live that lie in his own head. Like, there's no, that he, scene. He wears it. He, he can... He- I think he's more developed and has grown more. Like, again, wait, we have to take into account age as well. Paul Dano's character is quite young compared to mm. Daniel Plainview. But, like, I, I don't know if it's just because he, he's such a rich, powerful person. He doesn't need to be as secretive with it. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, he wears it quite willingly and openly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you get to see the real side of him. It's sort of usually sitting there, but in expressions that he's that he pulls. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it comes out at certain points. Then there's a scene with his brother where he just says, I have a competition in me, 
I don't want anyone else to succeed. I, I hate most people. And that's a, which is kind of a weird scene. And I, I want to criticize it for being too on the nose, but it works and it makes sense that he would be confessing that to his brother at that point. To someone who be- he believes to be his brother, of course, you know, again, like he has a, he has a very traditional uh, understanding and belief in legacy, I'm guessing, you know what I mean? Like the only people he can trust and say that to is his blood, you know? So do you, do you, do you view him as, as, a as like a tragic character? I definitely do. Like the thing is I like in previous this this viewing for me was um eye opening. Um again, you know, it's it, it, good films wash over you and you learn more as you get older and you watch them more. Um I remember in the past very much looking at him as like borderline sociopathic, you know what I mean? Mm. And and with this viewing um he is he is angry, he is a sad man, and he does make some really cold decisions. But God, you can see that he cares about things and that yeah. he isn't and he and he is conflicted and some of these decisions that he's making are hurting him, you know, particularly with his son. Mm. You know, the like the tragic parts of the film are when you see the the kindness come come out in Yeah. Him. Um, yeah, where you can see that he's actually a like a pretty highly sensitive dude. Mm. Like when he gets betrayed by his brother, who who turns out not to be his real brother, um, that was the one genuine relationship that he had. He can't really communicate with his son on a on a on a super personal level because he has to look after him. Yeah, and his brother comes along, and there's a there's a genuine relationship there. He can drop the mask, and he can be real around someone. Mm. Um, and then when he finds out that it's just some stranger who has taken on the identity of his brother, um, that's a, a huge betrayal. And that's actually the um, the first time he kills someone. Where he he then kills him and buries the body because that's such a huge betrayal. And then uh, he's back to being alone and there's mm. an incredible scene where he's mourning the death of his brother who he didn't even really know he just grew attached to through this other character it's just such a weird messed up mm. situation to be in and i just feel like really sorry for the character in moments I hate, like that i hate to sound like a, a 21st century soy boy SJW kind of person. But again, on on another level as well, it is a very big commentary on the male condition and toxic masculinity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even to this day, men are still kind of told not to deal with these, d- deal with personal emotions in a healthy way. You know, and and they yeah. do come out in really fucked up ways. You know what I mean with yeah. how they treat other people, how they treat themselves, and I think this is a clear case. I think if he was in a in a um in a in a society, I fucking hate saying the word society since fucking Joker has become a meme. But in a in a world mm. where this is so cut and dry, and it's do or die, um. It's impossible for someone to 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 like care enough and to express enough and to not become such a fucking cold, heartless cunt, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like to to be, um, you know, kind and you know, uh, like kindness is a weakness. Yeah, if you're kind, you're a you're a child-bearing woman he has whatever to always, you know yeah he always he always has to have his cunning turned on and mm. he, he doesn't trust anyone either mm. and then as the film goes on he uh trusts fewer and fewer people and then every single person becomes a, a just a business relationship and the only reason that he can trust people is if he has something over them hmm well, I've, um, I, uh, it's, it's, I, I have to quickly talk about, um, 
slightly changed of topic. What's your, how do you feel about the score for this film? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and it's Johnny Greenwood. I'm a huge Radiohead fan. Uh, so I, you know, I like that, but it's not like the, the soundtrack sounds like Radiohead cause it doesn't. Um, but I think the score is, it's unique and mm. it's, uh, it's eerie and it, it, it's really fitting and it sits nicely alongside the, um, Daniel Day-Lewis performance. It's this kind of like classical erratic um horror show of a, of a soundtrack it 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 bleeds it doesn't stop mm. you know like that the, there's a, a really intense scene right and it ends but the music doesn't stop like it's not the music isn't dictated by the scenes the music informs the scenes you know what i mean like I remember there was a, something happened quite intense and then the next shot is like a train arriving and it's this really serene, nice shot, but the music's like, you know, like it's just going absolutely fucking bananas, yeah. you know? I was watching this with my uh, my girlfriend and a roommate and the opening scenes where it's just silence and, you know, them mining and all this stuff. Yeah. It, on in surface On the surface, it's quite you know, a, uh, a normal, normal scene. Yeah. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's quite a normal scene, but the music is just filling it with such foreboding emotion, you know? Yeah. And you just know, you just know something's going to happen, even though everything you're kind of seeing is quite, you know? Yeah. The score is foreboding. Look, kind of like the title. It's Mm. perfect. You know, uh it fits fits in with that um so nicely i it, i every time uh, i watch it i i forget that you, we, there's not a line of dialogue for the first 15 minutes of the film yeah no there's nothing and you and you learn so much and everything is set up yeah but- the whole film is set up without a word of dialogue by the time uh. someone speaks, we're already into the main guts of it, and it's all been set up for us just through the the visuals, um, mm. which just goes to show like that's how good PT can be. Mm. Mm. Um, it's fucking yeah, absolute masterclass in filmmaking. Pisses me off. Mm. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to say about there will be blood before we, uh, no, I mean, like I could just, yeah, I mean, I could just sit here for hours talking about how much I like the movie, but it's not even really, it's like, it's fucking is one of the greatest films ever made. Why? Um, if you don't like it, you're wrong. Um, it's, it's, it's so good. And you know, not much else to say really. It's, and it's, it's a very, um, it's non-traditional, mm. you know, which I which I think is important. Like this is a an example of that. You know, stories do not have to be told in a three act structure. Like this is no. a good, good reminder that it's 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 good to experiment and try different things because when it works, you know, it it really works, and mm. um, it's worthwhile. Just to just to so it's a little less like we're just sucking its absolute cock. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything about the movie that you don't like or that you would change or could change, or maybe uh, do ever so slightly differently? Um, well, I mean, like I, I wouldn't change it, but um, yeah, there's like a bit where he's um, uh, he's I'd seen it enough times that eventually I did find this one thing that bothers me every time which is um, when he is pinning down the his brother, who is, you know, he finds out that this man isn't his brother, he's an imposter. Uh, the guy's sl- asleep, and um, he wakes him up with a gun to his face, like under his chin, and he says, who are you? And then he says, oh, I'm your brother. And then he asks him a question that only his brother would know the answer to, and then the man's like, look, I'll just leave. And then he confesses to him, look, I knew your brother. 
Um, but he died of tuberculosis. I just took his diary and took his identity. Look, I'll, I'll just go. Um, his reaction is, is, is kind of, I mean, like when he's saying that he's looking right at Daniel, but you can't see Daniel's face and you get the impression that maybe Daniel's going to buy it because he's, he's kind of quiet and he's like, look, I'll just go. You can just leave me be and everything will be fine. And then when it cuts to his reaction shot, Daniel Day Lewis is pulling the most cartoonishly angry psycho face <laughs> that it, it doesn't make sense that this guy would be acting like that. The real thing would be like, he's seeing a fucking monster, but I understand why he put that reaction in there because it's such a fucking crazy face that he's pulling that it's too good not to have in there. But every time I see that, I laugh now because it, it doesn't it doesn't match <laughs> yeah um i'm i honestly i that that is the definition of nitpicking i'd say like that's perfectly fine to me yeah but um if that's the if that's the best you can come up with i think the movie's doing pretty good so from uh there will be blood um the next movie uh we had to watch was um inherent vice um you're a you're you're in an a, an, an an even more interesting position for this one as well because you've read the book, haven't you, Dane? Yeah, yeah. Um, that might mean you can actually give a like a an understandable plot description of what the fuck this film is. <laughs> Not really, because I read the book like uh, 2013 or some shit. Right. Um, well, and I didn't I didn't understand the book either. But what I remember of the book is that it's much funnier than the movie. Okay, so give us a um, give us your best shot at the uh, what the fuck happened in um, Inherent Vice. <laughs> okay, so uh, in 1970, Joaquin Phoenix plays a uh, stoner hippie um, who is a private investigator, and um, he takes on the case of a missing person. Now, I know that. Yeah. Everything that happens afterwards and his relation to the characters is very hard to understand. I read the book before it came out because I heard that uh, he was making it um so and i was really keen for for a new pt anderson film so i read the book and i'd never read a um thomas pinchon um novel and i'd heard that his shit was really good so um i read inherent vice and uh i didn't understand the book um but i remember it being funny and I didn't understand the movie and I've seen it three times now and I still don't know what happens. Like, honestly, this is my, and this is the only time that I don't think this. When I first read the book and watched the film, because I watched the movie when it came out and didn't like it. And then I watched it again because I was like, no, but it's PT Anderson. I must be wrong. And then I watched it again and I was like, uh, okay, maybe it's just too smart for me. I don't get it. And so what my theory was then was that it's meant to sort of recreate the, um, for anyone who has been um, like a proper stoner at any point in their lives, meaning like you are- Smoking every day. Yeah, you you wake and bake. Like, cause that's yeah. this cunt, he is like chronic. Um, I've had stages throughout my life where I've been that, um, and the feeling is kind of like how this movie feels, which is, Mm. um, everything is overly complex, but somehow connected to everything else. And it all has meaning, but that meaning is hard to, to grasp. Um, yep. and I thought it was meant to sort of recreate that feeling of, um, 
you know, oh, everything is so significant and connected and important, but so complicated and hard to understand. Um, right. When I watched it again this time, I was like, no, I don't think that that's... I, I think maybe... It's just a confused film? Yeah, I think it's just... Maybe that's what he was going for in the in the book. I don't know. I haven't read it again. I'm not going to, because I think maybe I'll try again in a in a decade or something. Because it's that guy's it's writing quite, style is very weird. It's the movies. It's a very dense film. Like it's 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 like a I I don't know. It's just like everything's vignetted like everything's a vignette and that there's connective tissue between them but because he's so fucked on drugs Mm -hmm. even as a detective he's so inept at being able to do his job half the time the movie is like frustrating you know like like i can and and all that that's all i can really say is that the main character is probably one of the most frustratingly useless fucking cunts i've ever seen in a film before um yeah also to your to your to your opinion about this being a movie about stoners i went and saw this movie with my ex at the time my partner at the time ripped as fuck Mm -hmm. and it did not help no it definitely did not help that it made it a lot worse i think i think like you know if you you know if you if you insist on watching it i would suggest watching it um not trying to connect the plot and wonder what happens, but yeah, watch it as like a series of vignettes. Scenes. Yeah, because they can be mildly entertaining, but about that, I mean, like, mm. I, I had to um, check if this was supposed to be a comedy, because I remember the book being funny. It's meant to be a comedy. I, there are comedy. there are bits that are very clearly meant to be really funny. Well, there's and there are of, things in it that do make me laugh. There's lots of jokes. But, yeah, but um, you know what it reminded me of is that Spielberg movie we watched. Another episode, the, as in like a comedy made by someone who doesn't understand comedy. Yeah, was it nineteen seventeen or something? No, not nineteen seventeen. Nineteen forty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nineteen seventeen is that really yeah. fucking drab war movie that's yeah. out at the moment. Because nineteen forty one, you can see that uh, if it was directed by someone who understood um, comedy, it could be quite funny because there are jokes in there that you can you can identify. Um, mm. And the same with this; it's just packed full of jokes. But PT doesn't know how to time for humor. He knows how to time for drama and intensity see i disagree like his first his early films mm. can be quite funny magnolia can be quite funny at times yeah, but boogie nights be, is quite can funny be really funny at times but it's funny in that fucked up way yeah where he presents a situation that is so fucked up that it's funny but for yeah. this this i mean like this is meant to be a broader like, kind of comedy? Yeah, this is meant to be like Mel Brooks funny. This okay. is like, you know, comedy, comedy. Not so fucked that it, in, you know, turns into comedy. Like a dramedy sort of thing. Not a dramedy. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Like, it's... it's We can't really describe what happens in this film at all. Because as soon as we get really into it, then it's it all starts to unravel and become really confusing. You know what I mean? Um... I think you're right. I think just inherent, the DNA of the film doesn't work. So even the even if a lot of the ingredients are relatively good, uh, I'm actually I'm going to come out and say it right now. I didn't really like this film. No, I don't like um, this movie at all. Yeah, I don't um, think it, I don't think it works. I think it's lacking. Um, I think it's lacking a coherent vision. It's mm. lacking direction. And I, re- I did some reading on it, and apparently the set was chaotic. But they were like, the actors were like, well, it was a chaotic fun. It was sort of like an organized chaos. And it's like, mm. oh, okay, that makes sense because it kind of feels like you didn't really know what you were going for. Um, <clears throat> nothing is really honed in. I didn't like the performances. I don't like Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this film. I think it's kind of drab. Yeah, I don't. I, there's nothing. It's not like even really that interesting. And he's another guy who cannot do comedy. 
uh, uh Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, he's best playing um like distorted weirdos, you know, who are like his performance in The Master, that's he's good at that shit. But put him in a role like this, then it's just like this guy's creepy. He's just creeping me out. And when I I read that um Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be in this I think first. if he was the lead, this film would have been a lot better. Yeah, definitely. And I was actually annoyed that he wasn't in it because apparently he was supposed to be. Um, but then he said that PT went with Joaquin Phoenix instead because Rob Danny Jr. was too old. But I thought about it and I was like, actually, that's probably just what he told Downey Jr. I think the real reason is that he wanted too much money. Yeah. But yeah. I would have much preferred to see him in this role because that guy, one, he's a better actor. Two, he's got great comic timing. Joaquin Phoenix does not have comic timing at all. He's mm. possibly the most unfunny person on the planet. Uh, like, so why are you that, putting you know him in that- comedy? I don't understand. Like you know that scene where he looks at the like can you can you try and explain to me the 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 scene where he looks at the photo of the child? Can you explain that to me? What? Oh, uh, with the um heroin addict. And then he screams and then just hands it back. Can you explain to me what happens in that scene? Well, that's kind of you just described it as far as. But I'm like, concerned. why? I mean, why did he scream? Yeah. Well, wait. What was her description of the photo? There was no description. She said, "That's this is my daughter," and then he shows she shows him the photo, and then he screams and then hands it back. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think maybe there was supposed to be. Uh, I think maybe she. Yeah, says but then you something. see the kid later, and the kid's fine. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe there's a description in there. There's something she says that. Maybe they're naked or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird that like a lot of his performance and um, plenty of other actors too, their performance feels um, not phoned in, but like they didn't understand the material or what mm. those, they just kind of, um, you know, went with the direction they were given, but didn't fully understand. The- like he just screams because the direction says... He screams, so he does, the, and then that's it. The best performance in it is Josh Brolin, but that's because he's playing such a square. Yeah, that definitely. You know what I mean? Josh Brolin is really good. Yeah, um, um, he's the only one who is, I would say, is gives a really good performance. Um, mm. Then there's like just people who are, aren't bad, but there's no, there's. Um, there's many bad performances again you you said it you at one point you thought this movie was meant to replicate the experience of being a chronic pothead Mm. um is it uh are chronic potheads like incredibly forgetful yeah okay because there's like there there are bits where he is told information and and then he like he it doesn't come up until later. Like he then remembers it. Mm. Like it's it, there. Like the, there was a bit where he gets from the the chick that works at the um the uh, Asian lady that works at the uh, brothel. Right. Mm. She sends him a message saying, "Beware the golden claw or whatever." Right. Fang. Yeah. The golden fang. And then she, he meets her, and he doesn't bring it up. Mm. And then about 20 minutes later in the film, he meets up with her again and then goes, oh, yeah, what was that golden fang you were talking about? Yeah. It was just, it just shit like that would just do my fucking head in. I'm like, come on, man. Like, this film, you know, you'd be so much better at your job if you just, like, remembered what you were meeting them for. Yeah, like, see, I think things like that, you know, it is, it's meant to be funny. And I think that that would be... F- what, that he forgets what he's doing and then later remembers. That's meant to be funny. Yeah, because he's... It did my head in. It angered right, me. I'm like, bring it up. a stoner. That's why. Because he's forgotten. Mm. But he's meant to be more inept than he is. In the book? In the book, like, everyone's an idiot. 
Okay, because I think they kind of implied that he was a bit more... I think they were trying to get at it that he was a bit more aware of it than he let on. Yeah, Josh Brolin's character in the book is like a pathetic moron. Right. The and Doc in the book. So he's miscast then because he's not. He yeah in the movie. No, but you see him do it sometimes. So like the funniest part in the book that I remember like like really having a fucking laugh at um, is the bit where he um yeah it's the first time that he's got Doc um in, in that he's interrogating him and he's doing the the finger through the, the, the whole thing. The finger fucking yeah. symbol. Yeah. yeah. So when he does it in the movie, it comes across as creepy and intimidating. Um, it's actually just really funny in the book. Like it comes across as, um, bizarre and moronic. Um, and mm. that's, that's the vibe of childish. Yeah. That's the, the vibe of the book. It has a, a much more fun vibe to it. This is very, feels like PT Anderson, like just this, mm. the guy who directed there will be blood trying to do a comedy. And it's like, mm. no, you, you know, comedy has to be faster. He's got this dramatic timing to it. Like we have these, you know, you know, single shots, uh, you know, on a fucking wide lens of people just walking around. Honestly, if you want to watch this sort of film, you can just watch The Big Lebowski. Yeah. That just does it perfectly. Yeah. You know? It's meant to be more like The Big Lebowski. And yeah, like that, that movie's a parody of, that's like a what if situation of like, what if a stoner was in a Raymond Chandler novel? You know, and that's what this kind of is too, but it just, I don't know, just kind of missed the point. Yeah, it's definitely supposed to be a lot more like The Big Lebowski. I know know it's uh, uh, quite an obvious question, but like, why do you think this is the worst um, and least successful film in um, P.T. Anderson's catalogue? I think it's the most cynical one. I, I, the conclusion I've come to is that this is um, the ego of P.T. Anderson in that he wanted to adapt a Thomas Pynchon novel because they're notoriously hard to do. Unmakeable, aren't yeah. they? Uh, but he wanted to do it. Um, and then when Inherent Vice came out, I think he's, he read it and was like, this is the most... Uh, adaptable book he's released and he just wanted to be the guy who adapted a Thomas Pynchon novel and he could see that you know feasibly he could do it but he shouldn't have because it doesn't adapt very well yeah I, I, I there's part of me that feels like I should read the book but if you're saying it's something that you're not really intending on reading again it's you say it's not that special no it'll be later because it's kind of like one of those things that I was like okay I don't really know what that was but I got a good vibe from it you know like you were saying um like first time you watched there will be blood and you didn't even know what you were looking at but you could just tell feel yeah, it yeah it, yeah it's like that so it's um it's this film for me is a rare one where like every every time i watch a pt anderson film i am unpacking more and i am relishing the 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 situation i'm in you know i'm sitting and i'm watching a good film and i'm unpacking things and learning more but this film i've tried this is the third time i've tried and it's I, I'm having the same experience every time. And I'm reading online that it's like, no, it's a movie you need to watch more than once. Well, I've fucking watched it more than once. And the cunt's not giving me anything more, you what, know? Inherent vice? Inherent vice, yeah, you know. No, it was just it was wankers. Yeah, of course. Well but but like you can say that his other films are movies that are films that you should probably watch more than yeah, once. You should, so but you don't need to. To say that you ever need to watch a movie more than once, that's stupid. I'd say I'd say The Master is a film that lends itself to a second viewing. Yeah, I mean you more can, than any of his other ones. You can. But I mean to say that the default state of a film is 
you're gonna hate it the first time, but you need to watch it a second time in order to like it. Well, you made a no, bad movie. No, of course movie. you don't. Uh, no, I, I, I disagree. There have been movies that I've seen the first time I haven't liked, and then I now, after repeat viewings, find a masterpiece. Yeah, that's fine. But what I'm so saying is if they're designed for that purpose, that's a oh, bad idea. Oh, of course. Idea. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, of course. Of course not. But um, I'm just saying, like, there are definitely films that get better the more you watch them. Yeah. Or that, you know, I'm sure you've watched a film and then the second time you've watched it, you've loved it, right? And you didn't like it the first time. You've had that happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, to say that, no, 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 you need to watch it more than once. It's like, no, like, this is something that I think was a misfire. And there's mm. plenty um, to to signify that. I mean, the, the flat performances... Um, th this movie, by all rights, should look amazing, and yeah. I think it looks like dog shit. I mean, they yeah, have I, I the, the, like the setting and the costumes; it should look fantastic. I think I need you. I need you to rephrase. It looks dog shit compared to other P.T. Anderson films. Yeah, it looks dog shit for P.T. Anderson films. Yeah, and like it looks worse than the Master, and that's. I like how the master. Yeah, but that's looks. almost sterile by design. Uh, yeah. This is the colorful 70s with some impressive set design. And it just is like nothing. It's just like. It is. Like a I, I haven't actually thought about it now, but yeah, the cinematography is relatively in uninspired most of the time, isn't mm. it? And I think that had something to do with the chaotic nature of it. That it's like, mm. point the camera and um, we'll just see what happens. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. What was um? What was your favourite aspect of the film? Um, I liked Josh Brolin. Um, and I also yeah. did enjoy the Martin Sheen um, scene with the, the doctor, the... Is he a dentist? Oh, Martin Short. Oh, sorry, Martin Short. That that scene was cooked. I remember I remember in the cinema when I was just high as shit watching it. That's really where I checked out with the film. But like and, and was kinda like, I don't even like I can't even pretend to know what's going on anymore. You yeah, know? that's the closest that's really where that's it, the closest it came to being funny for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um well uh is there anything else you'd really like to say about this film? Um, no, no, I just, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't like it. It made me want to watch, uh, There Will Be Blood again, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just to, just to watch a good PT Anderson. Movie. Actually, you know what? I might watch that again tonight, actually. You know, <laughs> when, when we finish recording, I might watch There Will Be Blood again. Um, so what would you, what, uh, star, uh, what, what, how many farts would you give both these films? Um, inherent vice. I give a give a four out of ten. And um, the there will be blood. That's a ten out of ten for sure. Mm. Ten farts out of ten. Ten farts. Ten big uh, farts. Ten farts. I'm gonna I'm gonna give the inherent vice three farts, and I'm gonna give there will be blood ten farts. I I don't know if I've given many ten farts out yet. I oh, you hand them out like fucking candy but um yeah well i'm getting more i need to go back and and reconfigure because i'm like all right i'll i'll take the scoring thing seriously at the yeah. start i was like yeah. if i liked it it's a 10 if i didn't it's a one it's just like yeah a thumbs well up or I, this is this is a rare 10 farts for me i fucking love this film um uh what was i gonna say well i think it's my turn to suggest this time isn't it mm -hmm. Um, so P.T. Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson got me, um, thinking of, um, a, a better filmmaker, um, a better filmmaker to watch films of, and he actually has quite a similar name. Um, so I'm recommending the Resident Evil movies because they're made by Paul W.S. Anderson. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to do the math and we're going to... Watch the best and the worst of the Resident Evil films. Uh, how do you feel about that, yeah, Dane? I've actually seen... Uh, I think I've seen... 
Maybe two of them? Yeah. I'm going to let you know right now that they're fucking cooked as shit. Is there seven? There's six okay. of them. Right. And they and they get more and more bananas. I've seen the first one. I saw it when it came out and I've seen the fourth one. Oh, the fourth one's one of the really cooked ones. Yeah. Well, they just stop. They just they the, I think they are some of the most ugly films ever made. <laughs> like, ugly. Like, they are despicably ugly. Um, yeah, well, um, just uh, if you if you get any... If you got any emails for us, um, send it to moviebartspod at gmail.com. I'm Arnie Joe. This is uh, Cunt Nugget, or Fuck Nugget. I can't remember who you were. Which Who are you again? Uh, cunt Fuck. I think you said Cunt Fuck. Cunt well, let's cunt fuck nugget. Well, um, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye bye.